This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is sponsored by The Latte Co. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I make Milo smoothies all the time and I'm always putting a powder in them. That powder is created by The Latte Co. It is 100% plant-based. They have a baby latte, which is for 12 months and up, and then a kiddo latte, which is what Milo is using right now, which is for 24 months and up. You can put the powder in just water, you can put it in smoothies, you can even throw it in baking. It's made with organic, whole food ingredients, it contains more calcium than cow's milk, has a huge range of vitamins and minerals, it is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and it is nut-free. I'll just read off some of the ingredients here. So hemp hearts, pea protein powder, grinded flax seeds, beetroot, green cabbage, kale, broccoli, tomato, pumpkin. I mean, it goes on and on. I consider this stuff my secret weapon and it's so nice to give Milo a smoothie that has this powder in it and I know that he's getting a bunch of nutrition. The awesome people at The Latte Co. would like to give you guys 10% off and free shipping on your first order with the promo code THEMOMROOM10. You can find the link in the episode notes or you can simply go to thelatteco.com. I cannot recommend this stuff enough. So remember, it is promo code THEMOMROOM10 for a 10% discount and free shipping. www.thelatteco.com All right. Okay, so today I am talking with Dr. Tracy Dalgleish. That's right, right? Yes, you got <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's such a tricky name. Don't make yeah. it fancy. Sounded all the letters. <laughs> Dalgleish. All right. So she is a clinical psychologist and couples therapist. She helps women and mothers build healthy relationships by helping them let go of guilt, communicate their needs, and set boundaries in their lives. She has a beautiful website where she writes a blog and she offers courses and other resources. Uh, she also has a podcast called I'm Not Your Shrink and a beautiful Instagram account. So thanks so much for talking with me today about this topic. Um, I thought to start, you can just tell us a little bit about yourself, your training and what you specialize in in your practice. Absolutely. And thank you so much for inviting me to sit with you here. I am so glad. And, you know, just to kind of let the listeners in, we've just had a great chat connecting about our experiences at the University of Ottawa and the overlap with people we've worked with. So thank you so much for having me here. I like to think of all of my roles that I live in. I'm a psychologist and couples therapist, but I'm also I'm also a partner, a wife. I'm a mom to two little ones. I'm a daughter and, um, you know, a sister. I I like to think of all those roles that I play. And in terms of what I see in my practice, I mostly see women in my practice who are looking to change things that they're struggling with about themselves or within their relationship. And one of the things I like to remind people is that we all struggle in some way whether their thoughts and feelings about ourselves or what's happening in our relationship. And ultimately the goal, it's never for me to give you advice and to tell you how you should live your life. But ultimately how I work with people is helping you to go inwards and finding what it is that is your own true knowing and being able to live from there, living based on what you find meaningful to you. So I own a clinic here in Ottawa. It's called Integrated Wellness. We opened in 2019 and... People come into my office. Well, pre-COVID, they were coming into my office. Now we're now we're all on secure video. But yeah, so I see women and couples mostly in my practice, but I also see men clinically as well. And people sometimes wonder that or forget it. But I think, you know, there's also part of my practice where I help men improve their relationships and show up authentically in their life. People that come to you, that first contact that they make with you, what is often their complaint? Is there something that stands out as being very common? Mm -hmm. I don't feel good about myself. Like that is usually the first thing that comes up. Like something doesn't feel good about me. And they're doubting 
you know, am I good? Am I worthy? Am I making the right decision? You know, should I stay in this job? Should I not? Should I stay in this relationship? Should I not? Um, or, or oftentimes it's this piece around our relationship where resentment, our topic today, it shows up. Like it's this, you know, I don't feel good. My partner's not willing to come to therapy. So I'm showing up here. Mm. Do you see mostly couples or is it mostly women on their own? Would you say? Mostly individuals. And okay. I would probably say about 30% of my practice is couples. And, and the reason for that is that I have to make sure that I'm looking after myself as a clinician, that there is a big dynamic when seeing couples in the room, that it's that I'm holding two people, I'm holding the dynamic between them, and I'm also holding my relationship with each of them. So in order for me to have a healthy practice, I'd like to balance it out with couples and individuals. And then, as you just said, you know, I also balance out my work by doing the stuff outside of my therapy room, right? You know, the podcast and creating and all of that piece. Yeah. All the fun stuff. <laughs> it's all fun. It's such a privilege to be able to, to work with people so intimately. And when people say, you know, gosh, I've never told this to anyone before and to have someone share something for the first time and to own a feeling about something, it's an incredibly powerful experience and such a privilege to be the person that sits on the other side of it. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that because I'm not a clinician, but I have that same experience with people through social media uh-huh. because I'll put a post out there about something that validates someone's feelings. And then they write to me their story saying, I never, I've been so upset. I didn't understand like how to put it into words, but your TikTok or whatever it is, just explain to me why I'm feeling this way. And I'm like, Oh, Like it's such a good feeling. Yeah. And I think about one of our core needs is that need to be seen by other people. And that if we're not getting it in our world, in our intimate relationships, even, then where are we getting it? It's a fundamental Mm -hmm. need that we all have. And, you know, I can echo that in the sense that so many people DM me saying, this is the first time that I really feel seen by something that you posted. And I feel so validated. And for the first time, I feel like I'm not alone. Like how Mm -hmm. fundamental are those needs, eh? To know I'm not alone in what I experience, that other people struggle with this too, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah. The, so as you said, the topic for today is resentment. And what I did was I knew that I was going to be talking to you. So I put out a poll on Instagram and there were four options that people could choose from and they could decide what we were going to talk about today. So (laughs) one of the options was resentment and rebuilding connection after baby. And this topic won by a landslide. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. But I was like, whoa, clearly we need to talk about this. Um, But I thought at first we could just kind of go over what resentment is. Because I think even me, I use that word and I hear it and I think I understand it. But what exactly does that mean? Mm. Can, Can I ask, can I put you in the hot seat? Can I ask you, what does it mean for you? For me, I feel as though resentment would be like you're mad that your partner gets to do something that you can't. So when, when I was making notes, just thinking about um, my own situation, I was thinking about how I resent that my husband doesn't feel the mental stress or the mental load of being a parent that I do. So Uh he's able to do things and enjoy things or certain moments, whereas I can't because I have mom guilt or I feel guilty that he's doing something with our son and I'm not. The perfect example is last night, I didn't sleep at all the night before and I was exhausted. And our son, of course, decided that he didn't want to sleep last night. And my husband works full time. He had to operate all day today. Uh-huh. And my husband told me, I'm going to get Milo. I'm going to take him downstairs and I'll just put on the basketball game and watch TV with him until he falls asleep. It's fine. And I was upstairs. I should be able to go to sleep. I'm exhausted and I'm not. I'm texting my friends saying, I feel so bad that I'm not down there with them because 
like I have this feeling like I need to be down there and I feel bad that my husband's doing it on his own. Whereas if the tables were turned, he would just be downstairs snoring. Like he wouldn't have that <laughs> feeling. Right. So that's right? what it means to me. Long answer, but yeah, that- you're tapping on so many important pieces though, that there, that what, what resentment looks like is this sense that there is something that is unexpressed that there is a need or a feeling that we're not sharing with the other person and we're keeping it inside of us and we're not listening to it. And then we do all kinds of other things and we can talk about like why it shows up in our relationships, but then we do all kinds of other things, but ultimately we're like holding this all in. And when I think of resentment, I think of the iceberg analogy. We often think of the iceberg analogy with anger, right? Where the top of the iceberg is just the tip, but underneath the the water is the whole mass and all of the feelings of disappointment, failure, fear, sad, hurt, Mm. pain, like all of those feelings. And I often see resentment as that feeling of a layering feeling that it is the slow erosion of your relationship and it's a toxic emotion that hides all kinds of other things that are happening underneath. So you mentioned guilt, right? So Mm. feeling guilt underneath. Um, You mentioned the mental load. So feeling the burden of like having to take on all these things and not communicating it and getting your partner on board. Um, Feeling like you're not seen for what you're doing in a relationship. What other ones come to mind? But it's like, you know, what is resentment? Resentment is just this really difficult emotion that is so sticky that it's often a representation of other things that are happening in your relationship. Hmm. I, when you said not feeling seen for what you're doing, I would imagine that that is a huge part of how stay at home moms would feel Hmm. if their partner is out working, but they're at home doing the homework, like not schoolwork, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, of course. And going nonstop. Emotional and household labor, right? Yes. And that that often shows up not just for stay-at-home caregivers, stay-at-home moms, but often also for women who are working, Mm. who are out of the home, but then also continue to bear the mental load and their partner doesn't know all of the things that we're holding inside of our mind. And that them not knowing is not that they don't want to. It's not that they don't care. It's that truly in a heterosexual relationship, they don't know all of the Mm. things that you're holding in your mind. Is that, I mean, we could talk about socialization and gender roles as reasons for that, but I often go into that them not knowing and not fully understanding what that looks Mm. like. Have you read the book? I'm just curious how not to hate your husband after kids. No, it's it's on okay. my wish list, but I'm working through Fair Play right now with Eve Rodsky. Have you read oh, it? No, I haven't. Is it good? Yes. Put it oh, on put it on your okay. list. It's, it just it approaches things from a kind of like a mediator perspective and it really breaks down these tasks that you can do in your relationship to essentially create fair play, right? To make to make it fair. And what I think is so important in our relationships is that it's not ever about it being equal that oftentimes we feel like, okay, this isn't equal. And, you know, if I'm doing this and they should do that, and it's never going to be 50, 50, but rather in our relationships, when we feel healthy and good, it's about feeling fair. Mm. And so if you are taking on all the household tasks, if you are taking on all the emotional labor in the relationship, if you're taking on all the childcare labor, which we know from research, women are more likely to take those on, um, then that's going to lead to not feeling fair. Mm-hmm. A lot of work for one person. Yeah. And resentment as a result. And can lead to resentment. Yeah. What was it about that book that you were thinking of? Uh, and- so she talks a lot about, it basically goes through, they go to therapy and like they were on the verge of divorce after having a child. And she takes us through like all the research, but also their journey to going to therapy. And a lot of it had to do with, like you were saying, he literally didn't know. Yeah. So a simple thing to just ask, you know, I'm tired right now. Maybe like, can you give her the bath and I'm going to stay downstairs? And it's like, sure, no problem. But if you don't, Mm-hmm. ask for what you need, then they have no clue. So yeah, it just reminded me of things that I'm reading in that book, like similar situations. 
The objection I often get from that with my community, especially, is why should I have to ask? That mm. is what great my nerves. Like, why do I have to ask? And I often go back to that space of compassion and permission that your partner doesn't know all these things. And mm. again, is that gender role socialization? Largely, yeah, they don't know. And we have a choice. Do we like hold the grudge and keep expecting that they're going to know and just know what it is that we do? And also too, I mean, if we think of here in Canada, we're with our babies for a year. If, you know, most often it's the women taking the maternity leave, it's starting to change more. I am seeing more men stay at home with their babies, but that means you are having hours of experience. You become the expert before your partner does. And so they just don't know those things. And so it's like helping our partners to level up. So the choice is, do we help them level up and understand these things? And we can ask, make our needs clear, or do we hold the grudge and just keep wishing that they'll change, even though they don't know what the issue is? Yeah. An interesting term that I learned in that book that I'm reading is maternal gatekeeping. Yes. So is that a legit thing? Have you heard of that? Yeah. And I think that probably happens often and it just kind of snowballs the resentment. Yes. Because you're, you don't even allow them to try, right? Because you think they're not doing it properly or Uh you're, you're the boss. And I think having that 12 month maternity leave, that's what happens. You become the default parent and you take on everything and you think that you're the expert. So it's hard to let someone else in to help. It is. It's one of the key reasons why resentment develops is because then we start to become the expert, right? So I'm even thinking of my own experience. When we first got home, um, my first birth was an emergency C-section, not what I had planned. And I just felt completely out of sorts, kind of trying to just deal with the fact that that happened. And I remember one day my partner being like, I don't know what to do. Like here, I'm like, I don't know what to do either. You're expecting me to be the expert. And I'm not the expert. I'm in the same position as you. I'm flailing at this and I don't know. So like, let's try to do this together. And what can you start to do so that I don't become the gatekeeper or the other common example? I know many listeners can relate to this is that, um, you know, I think my, my son was six weeks and it was summertime and I'm sitting on the couch and then my partner disappears. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I'm just like, why am I still holding the baby? Like, I'd like to get up and go do something. And this is a day that he's finally home. Like anger was like soaring through my body. And then the next thing I hear, the lawnmower's going. (laughs) I I, I couldn't believe I like, talk about rage in that yeah. moment. Like I was enraged at my partner for going. And when he came in, luckily that anger had subsided because had he been there in that moment of rage, we would have continued to cycle and not gotten anywhere. But I was able to share with him, it feels like I'm the default parent. And that's yes. what Eve Brodsky talks about in the fair in her book, Fair Play. I'm the gatekeeper. I'm the default parent and I'm the decision maker. And I don't want that. I want us to be a team. So I know you don't realize this, but you just expect me to be with baby and you continue on where we actually need to negotiate this, that when you want to go and do something, yes, you're doing something for the household. We've got to first check in with each other before we, we actually go and do that. Like, where are you at? Where am I at? And so that maternal gatekeeping, just for people to think about that, that is the, you see that baby or your partner is struggling to get baby to bed. And then you're like, okay, here, I'll do it. So you just jump in or your partner puts the diaper on backwards. Oh, you did it wrong again. Here, let me just do it. Right. Yeah. And and that is challenging because then what your partner learns from that and what I want people who are listening, I want you to really think like, what is it that I do here to contribute to this feeling of resentment is that your partner learns, I don't do it right. What's the point in doing it? I just won't do it. Yeah. And over time I will stop asking for help or yeah, I will stop asking to help you. Um, and we see that like one of the key things that builds to resentment are the imbalances in the labor that happens in the house. It's so funny that you brought up the lawnmower because I talk about this all the time. And it's something that I discovered in quarantine because for the, for my 12 month maternity leave, my husband was working full time. I was home. My focus was just 
taking care of Milo. And I knew that mentally I went into it. I'm not doing anything else. I'm not worrying about anything else. So then he went to daycare for a while and I had like my life back. I was doing my PhD. I was, you know, back to normal. So when you never get Warren, back to normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back to normal with air quotes. Yeah. So when Milo um or sorry, when quarantine happened, I my life turned upside down. I was stuck at home, couldn't have friends, couldn't go take him swimming, couldn't go to play dates, and my husband was still having his normal life. And I started to realize that I was excited for him to get home from work, obviously. But then when he did get home, I was annoyed and I was angry and I just kind of let it go for a while because I wanted to figure out why I was feeling that way. Why are you excited for him to get home? But then when he does get home, you're grumpy and annoyed and it's the default parent thing. I had this vision. He's going to come home and my life is going to change. You know, I'm free. Like I have help and he would come home, but I still felt like I was the default parent. He could go off, cut the grass, um, go put laundry in all good things on paper, but I felt like I was stuck to Milo and I had to announce, I made this TikTok about being the default parent where I had to ask to go pee. Like, I'm just going to go pee. Okay. Like, can you watch Milo? I'm just going to go pee. Okay. Whereas he would never have to do that because I'm always watching Milo. So Another thing, and she mentions it in the book that I'm reading, is that there's research out there that shows that men, they choose to do tasks around the house that are categorized as leisurely. So cutting the grass would be one of those things. Leisurely tasks and also tasks that get them out of the house. Yeah. So once, like in quarantine, it didn't take me long to realize I had never cut grass in my life. And I was like, you are not cutting the grass anymore. I am cutting the grass and I'm putting on a podcast and I'm going to like suntan my arms and that's it. And it actually was amazing and made me feel so much better just that I figured that out. I'm laughing because before (laughs) I turned 30, um, I said to my partner, I want, and this is before kids, I said, I want to learn how to cut the grass. I see you out here, like just, you know, pushing and listening. Like I want to learn to do that. And so one of the things I've actually learned to do now in my role as mom is, Hey, love, you got the kids. I'm going out to cut the grass. Yeah. And one of my top hitting posts was actually, instead of asking to take a shower, go take the shower. Mm. And we ask, we need permission from our partners rather than being able to go and just take it. This Mm -hmm. kind of leads me into one of my other thoughts around why resentment builds in relationships. It's important even when we look at the research with this one and it's around self-sacrificing that over time and there's, there's slow self-sacrifice, like there's slow moments where it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I guess I don't need to take the shower. I will just stay here. It's okay. Right. Like that is, it's such a small moment early on. No, I'm okay. Not to take the shower today. I'll just hang out with baby. But over time, what we see from the research is that yes, there's some research that reports that when you self-sacrifice, you do have a healthy, like a positive, um, you have good relationship satisfaction, but there's also research to show that after you sacrifice for your partner, you have a negative evaluation of your partner afterwards. Mm. So it's really interesting that we start thinking of what is the cost of losing the fulfillment of our own goals, preferences, and needs. It's funny that you say that because a lot of the times the self-sacrificing has nothing to do with my husband. Because if I mention uh, you know, I'm feeling like I need to get energy out. Like I'm, I want to shower and go shopping or whatever. His response is always go do what you want, babe. Go, go do what you want. We're good here. But in my mind, I'm like, Hmm, but really like, is it okay? But a lot of it is my own fault. And if I just say something, he's totally on board. Go do what you want to do. This episode is supported by Puddles and Play. Puddles and Play was founded by a Canadian mom that was always on the hunt for high quality toys. All the products are professionally crafted by local small businesses that specialize in quality children's toys. All the toys are made with solid wood, they're fully sanded and painted with non-toxic oils and paints, with 10% of all purchases being donated to CHEO, which is the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. I actually used to work there. 
It's probably a good idea to invest in some indoor toys like indoor climbers, you know, those things that are shaped like a triangle and made out of wood, wooden puzzles, magnetic trains. You have to check out their website. They have a really cute thing called a wobble board and also a rainbow rocker. We recently ordered Milo their multi-fold climber and I cannot wait to get it. I think he is going to love it. Puddles and Play ships anywhere in Canada and some products are able to be shipped to the U.S. They are giving the Mom Room podcast listeners a 15% discount when you use the code THEMOMROOM at www.puddlesandplay.ca. You can find them on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook at puddlesandplay.ca. And remember, it is promo code THEMOMROOM for 15% off your purchase. Check out the episode notes for more details. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. It it leads me a bit to the other thing that comes up around why resentment shows up. And so the one piece is what are our own thoughts uh, and beliefs that we have? Mm -hmm. Sometimes what happens is we have higher unrealistic expectations of other people. And so that expectation might actually be my partner should make time for me right? Like I, I asked them, do they, do you want to go do something? They should carve it out for me. That could be an unhelpful thought. Or we get into other ways of thinking, which is something like negative filtering or like the cognitive bias. So if our partner does something or doesn't do it, we're like, oh, he always does that. Or she always does that. Mm. And then we start to look for that information to confirm the belief that we have about our partner. They're always late coming home. And then we don't see the times they're on time. We only see when they're late. Mm-hmm. So we stop kind of having more of that adaptive view of our partners and it starts to get skewed in some way. And we know that negative thoughts stick to us like Velcro and positive thoughts stick like Teflon. Mm -hmm. And one of the recommendations from Gottman is for every one negative thought, negative comment to your partner, you need five statements to outweigh that. Mm -hmm. I was just going to ask you about the Gottman's because she talks about that all like I'm apparently I'm in love with this book, but she talked about them and how they teach couples how to fight. And so I did a podcast episode about that. And I loved their idea about building a culture of appreciation for your partner. And it kind of speaks to the looking for positives as opposed to the negatives and then focusing on negatives. So yeah, I really liked that and the ratio thing as well. It's such a huge one. And oftentimes what I hear from people is that like the resentment is so ingrained and women will say to me, you know, I I just, no, I can't, I just, I I can't, I can't show any kind of appreciation. You want me to appreciate my partner for doing absolutely nothing. And the nudge is always something small. Can you find something small? And also shifting into gratitude. But the research actually shows with gratitude, like if we are in a stressful moment, that the brain research shows that if we can shift into gratitude, I'm grateful for my partner because I'm grateful today for, that actually down-regulates what's happening in our brains. It, It turns a message off in our brain of that stress signal. It activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm. And how important that can be then if we are constantly in this resentment cycle of just finding something small of your partner. Like, I appreciate that they got me a glass of water today, or I appreciate that they cleared my dish today, or whatever that might be, right? Or, Or even just that moment of connection instead of seeing all of the things that they don't do. Mm -hmm. And it is a choice that we get to make 
every day in terms of, and when, when people get stuck in this in their relationships, I often like to ask, what is it that you want to teach your children? What do you hope your children to learn watching you and your partner? Is it Mm. that you can't show that appreciation or that you have this culture of appreciation and gratitude within your relationship? This goes into the other thing of why resentment shows up in a relationship, which is those tricky communication patterns, Mm. the criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. And we know that those negative communication patterns lead to these really difficult cycles where it disconnects partners. It stops them from being able to share adaptive and healthy and connecting emotions like sad and happy. Instead, we get into this cycle of, I blame you because you're so defensive and you never listen. And then the other partner says, I'm so defensive and I shut down because you're always yelling at me. And then this cycle stops partners from being able to share things like, hey, love, I'm so overwhelmed. I really need your help. Can you take my little guy for 20 minutes while I go have a shower? But instead we say things like, you never help out. Oh, I can't expect you to help out today. Like, you know, here I am again, just taking on the whole load of the family. Hope you have fun surfing on your phone, right? And you almost, I, I can picture myself in relationships from a long time ago, almost instead of asking, can you watch this person? Well, at that time I didn't have a child, but it would be something along those lines. Instead of asking, you almost don't want them to so that you can further prove that your negative thought about them is correct. Yeah. Like I can see that a hundred percent. Yeah. It's like a, like a self-confirmation, eh? Like, I'm not going to share my need here and let me see if they're going to try to guess it. Right. Because we have this belief that we shouldn't have to share our needs with our partners. And in reality, you, you do Mm. partner cannot guess your internal experience and your internal experience is all of are all the things that you think, feel, desire, value, and wish for. And ultimately it's our job to share that inside stuff with our partner. And what we are responsible for is how we communicate that and how we ask for our needs to be met. And some people will say to me, okay, Tracy, but you know, I've told my partner, just help me out. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, I get it, but that's not really clear. Mm. Like maybe your partner doesn't know what help means. Can we get even more specific? Can we label what this looks like? Or in fair play, they talk about completely offloading a task to your partners that they have the chance to take that over. And actually I did that with my own partner that, you know, once we had two kids and me working, I had to acknowledge, you know what? I can't keep doing all of this. I can't keep up with my practice and do all of the daycare and school emails. And today I get a school email and I get a little flutter of guilt. I get a little flutter of anxiety. I'm like, oh, should I open it? And I don't. I choose to just kind of surf that feeling, surf the urge of opening it with that guilt and anxiety. And then I trust that my partner has that. And sometimes it means we have missed things and missed deadlines. And, you know, in the big picture, we're all still okay. And it's really once you do that and let them Uh prove to you that they can do things and that everything's going to be fine if you're not involved, it's much easier to keep doing it and allowing them to do it and offloading things to your partner. I was so lucky when Milo was really young, I had to go to Ottawa. He would have been just over a year old, I guess, in between a year and 18 months. A few times I had to go to Ottawa for days at a time to do school stuff. And my husband stayed home with him. And I know some women hear that and think, wow, my partner has never been alone with the child and the child's, you know, two years old. And I'm so happy that we had that experience. And my my husband was able to be home with him and take care of him for days at a time overnights, because now it's like nothing for me to leave. And I know like, I'm so comfortable Hmm. with my husband being with Milo and taking care of him for however long. Did Um, you say you were lucky? Like I, yeah. Yeah. Can I challenge you on your own? Yes. You're not, you're, yeah, you're lucky. And you also communicated what you needed. Yes, that this is true. And so you start to set that up. I, I hear, I hear women say that a lot that, oh, I'm lucky my partner helps out. And I challenge them and say, actually, 
And, and that's not to say that people whose partners don't help out that you're not asking for things. Cause I know there's a tough dynamic that happens, but you are setting that mm. and you are making space for what you feel and what you need. And you're willing in a way to get uncomfortable with that. Yes. And part of it, I was going to ask you about this too. Do you think part of the reason that it's probably mostly common in women to maybe not express your needs. Do you think it's common that people are afraid of doing that because they're afraid of rejection or what the partner is gonna, like how they're gonna respond? Absolutely. It it is, it's such a common response of if I share this, I don't know how my partner's gonna respond. And there's all of these beliefs that come in that and also maybe evidence from previous experiences. So internal beliefs would be things like, I don't wanna be a burden. Um, I shouldn't have to ask for my needs when, when really you should. Um, I've asked before and they haven't changed. So I'm not going to ask again, which sometimes we have to knock and keep knocking. And people who say I have asked before and nothing's changed. I like to challenge them a little bit and say, okay, let's, let's look at how you asked. Mm. And if you said, I need help, does your partner understand that? Or can you say something like, I feel anxious, you know, kitchen counter one is <laughs> always an example in our relationship, but you know, I feel anxious that all these things are on the counter. Can we do a counter cleanup tonight? And my partner knows what I'm feeling and what I need. It's really clear, right? Or I'm overwhelmed. I need to take a bath. You've got the kids. Like it's really specific. So I like to challenge um, the people I work with sometimes and say, maybe your partner doesn't know what exactly that is. Mm-hmm. But then the flip side of that is that I do hear the experience of, you know, well, my partner wasn't there for me before, or they get defensive or they yell at me. And that's also a really difficult dynamic. And when it comes to dealing with resentment, one of the things that we have to be willing to acknowledge is that we can only change ourselves. We cannot change other people. And to deal with this in some way, we can't wait for our partner to change. We have to be willing to look at our own mindset and also take responsibility for what has led us to build up this resentment. And so what would your advice be for women who feel resentment, but their partners are not, I guess, being responsive to their needs or are not willing to change? Okay. So there's a few things. So first I would want you to assess how you are talking to your partner. So are you getting stuck in those negative cycles? Mm. Maybe you even try once, but your partner gets defensive and then you slip into the cycle. So you try once I'm overwhelmed and I need, I need you to be with the kids. And if your partner says, I'm really tired, you know, can we just do this later? And if you say, Oh my God, here we go again. You haven't really tried to express it, right? Mm. So I would say, what's, what's the boundary and how are you communicating it? Okay. So I, I know you're tired. I see that. And I really need this time. This is really important to me. Can you please watch the kids for 20 minutes and I'll be back. If you can't do it now, can you do it in an hour? So it's like following that one small piece rather than throwing in all of the other examples of how this person's not helping you. So one, let's look at that. The other one I like, I love talking about this because I think it's a skill we don't really do. It's talking about talking. And that is at a time where you're both calm and you're both connected, you know, sometimes even when you're like doing the dishes side by side, because it's not so confrontational when you're side by side and you say, hey, have you, you know, I just want to ask something and maybe I'm wrong, um, but I've noticed sometimes when I ask you for help, it's really hard for you to help me out. Or I've noticed that when I ask you to whatever it is, it seems like you get defensive. Can you tell me what's happening here? So I'm trying to access at a different perspective with my partner of what's happening. Um, you know, my partner can always say this, that there have been many times where I've called him out and said, okay, hang on. Whoa, you're being defensive. Like, mm-hmm. and, and now we're at a place in our relationship where he can say, Oh, right. Okay. That was a little defensive where before he used to really fight up against that until we were able to keep talking about what does defensiveness look like? And I'll ask him, what is it that I just said that has led you to feel defensive? Can you help me understand that? Because maybe I'm willing to look at myself that maybe I am a little bit critical. I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm getting really good at apologizing. Um, And so he will then tell me, you know, well, you know, sometimes it feels like you're downplaying what I'm doing. And I I can say, oh, okay, I get it. Like, yeah, that, well, I get why you're defensive then. Okay, so I appreciate everything that you're doing. 
And my request, my need doesn't mean that you are not doing enough and that you are not enough. Mm. So it's, it's a different way of communicating. And I want to emphasize for you listening that these are skills, relationships and how we communicate has so many skills that we're just not taught. So if you're thinking, okay, well, she's a therapist, then no wonder she's been able to do this. No, these are all skills that I've learned over time and they take practice. So then the last thing though, is one of the hardest pieces. And that is around acceptance that sometimes if we're choosing to stay in our relationship, sometimes we have to see that our partners may not be willing to change and they may not be willing to meet us with what it is that we need, or they may not be able to validate us. And that can be really hard. Mm. So accepting that maybe that won't change. Yeah. Yeah. Accepting that, you know, your partner is not willing to come on board with you. And after you've then looked at how you've communicated things, you've tried things, you've tried all, all of the things that you can possibly do, then we need to accept that sometimes our partner is not going to put their focus and energy towards the things that we do. Yeah. And that's a hard space to be in that if I'm choosing to stay in this relationship, can I accept that maybe my partner, you know, I'll use my kitchen counters. Maybe my partner doesn't see the kitchen counters the same way I do. How important is this to me? It doesn't mean I like it, but accepting it means that I am aware of my difficult thoughts and feelings around that. And that I'm also willing to not judge this, to observe the hard thoughts and feelings and to acknowledge that I can't control him. And now I can choose to do what is meaningful to me. And ultimately, I mean, if we think of childcare, I I mean, yeah, you have a right to ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the household chores, I remember having this thought all of a sudden that we don't care about the same things and that's okay. But I think what happens is you expect your partner to care about the same things in the house that you do and in the same way, like it's not the case. So I know that my husband cannot handle dishes being in the sink Mm -hmm. and he doesn't verbalize that, but he is constantly, if there's a dish in the sink, he is there, he's washing it. And I get annoyed sometimes because I want him to just come and relax and watch TV with me, (laughs) or I'm trying to watch my show and I can't hear because he's, you know, dinking around with the dishes in the sink. (laughs) So I always like try to acknowledge he he doesn't necessarily care about like the bed sheets being changed every week and the bathrooms being really clean, but he cares about the cars being clean. He cares about the garbage and the recycling being like in order in the garage, the dishes. And so I had to realize, cause he would get annoyed at me for things. And then I would get annoyed at him for things. And it's like, we just care about different things and we have different priorities when it comes to things in the house. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, fine. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. 
you quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right, the quality is unmatched, you are going to love it, and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Absolutely. We're we're two different people. And that actually makes it really exciting because you can have different opinions about things. You can have good conversations. And that ultimately is what brought you guys together at the beginning. And it's important to, to nurture that piece. What's interesting is that oftentimes, this is really cool when I work with couples, is that oftentimes what brought people together is the very thing that is driving them mad about their partner. <laughs> Uh, You know, someone will say, um, I just loved how he always was able to problem solve. And I just really felt connected and secure with him at the beginning of the relationship. I always ask, like, tell me the story of you, what attracted you to your partner? How did the relationship unfold? And then we kind of like go all the way down and then it's like, okay, so tell me what's going on right now. He always fixes it. He never listens to me. Oh, right. Okay. He always fixes it right? Isn't that interesting? You enjoyed that part of him that was so intelligent and always problem solving at the beginning. And now you're looking for something else. That's really interesting. I have, I, I, you know, I often think of the high expectations as another piece, the perfectionism that comes in when it comes to resentment. And that's also that individual piece. And when it comes to our work around resentment, we must always remember that there are two things. I do this with my couples, that we have a dynamic that we're working together on. That's the between stuff or the interpersonal stuff. And the other part is the intrapersonal. And that's the within what's my own work that I'm doing. And something like high expectations and perfectionism is something that we can absolutely look at within ourselves. Am I expecting too much from the other person? Are these unrealistic standards? And I have this example from a client I worked with where she expected her partner to act the same way. So the example is house cleaning. And she would do it so quickly so that it would not impact her partner. Very kind. But the challenge though, is then she expected her partner to do it the same way. Mm. I couldn't understand why it would take him so long. And then he would get this time. Like she'd go and be like, you're still not done cleaning up. Like you're on your phone. And it was, it was like grading for her. And what our work really shifted on was around her understanding that they have different expectations and that if she has a need for herself, that she can start to express it, that, you know, I'm not going to hurry up and clean up. I'm actually going to take 15 minutes of me time. And in the end, her partner, like you had said earlier, her partner was fine with that, but we had to start carving out how are my expectations and perfectionism here tripping me up? And then what can I start doing to give myself permission, not to necessarily lower my bar, but to nurture me throughout all of this? Mm-hmm. 
One thing, I don't know if this is related to resentment, but I think I saw one of your posts on Instagram had something about when your partner gets upset or angry, emotional, whatever it is, you take it on or it affects you. And it had all the reasons for why that might happen listed on the image. Yes. And I, people really reacted to that. It was because it was so eye opening to me because whenever my husband, he could, you know, hit his elbow on the fridge or something. And when he has that reaction, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And, or if, it, if, if he's upset about something else, like he had a bad day or whatever it is, I take on, I almost feel like, not that it's my fault, but it comes on to me somehow. Whereas if I'm in a bad mood and I'm talking about how I'm upset or, you know, he doesn't have, it doesn't affect him in that way. So I thought that post was so interesting because I'm very much like that. I don't want him. I want him to always be neutral. And if he gets out of that, if he's, you know, angry, I'm like, Ooh, I don't like it. And I try and I don't know if I get defensive or what, but it's almost like, I think it's my fault somehow, or I want it to stop. (laughs) I think you're speaking about something that so many can relate to that. We, we watch the other person And then it's a reflection on how we're doing Yes. instead of having that separation. And, you know, immediately what comes to mind is, of course you do. You're a caregiver. You know, women are nurturers on average, right? Like you, you care for others. You're, that's just part of who you are and what a beautiful piece of you that leads you to do that. And at the same time, now, how can we create that separation and you know, for lack of a better word, almost like resilience to other people's emotions that Mm -hmm. your partner is allowed and you would do this with your son. Your partner's allowed to have any emotion. They are. It might be uncomfortable for you, but it's not your job to solve it. It's not your job to fix it. You don't have to take on the responsibility of it. You can let them deal with it and let it unfold. And Mm -hmm. the work there is kind of how I'd mentioned earlier, how you know, when I felt uncomfortable or anxious and guilt, I want to go and like do all the things and like open the emails, right? Instead, can you just kind of sit with that feeling that it's uncomfortable? Like, okay, my partner's upset right now. This feels really uncomfortable. Oh yeah, this is the thing where I like start to go and fix it. Am I internalizing it? And a lot of women do that too. Like, oh, this means something about me. No, no. My partner can be upset and angry and frustrated and it has nothing to do with me. There's that like beautiful and there, right? And it has nothing to do with me. I'm okay. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I started to notice that about myself. Why I almost get angry at him for being, you know, angry or upset about something. I I have this reaction. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I know so many people do. And, and that's also the, the challenge here though, is that then we don't share our emotion with the other person. So right. Then, cause if I share something with you, like if I share that I'm upset and I need you to do the dishes tonight so I can take a bath, then if they're upset about that, then how am I going to feel? Mm-hmm. And then here we go on that kind of sacrificing wheel of, I just won't tell them that, then they won't be upset. I'm trying to avoid. And we know that anytime we're trying to avoid something, that is usually the short-term way through something. And those feelings are going to come back again, rather than sitting in uncomfortable. If we could learn to just sit in being uncomfortable, so much could shift for us. Mm -hmm. Was there any other topic surrounding resentment that you wanted to chat about, or did we cover everything? I think there's one thing that people often come back to me about in terms of the objection. And that is, but what if they just don't do it? Like if I start to offload the tasks, what if they just don't do it? And I think that on one level, there's a conversation around respect. And what I love about uh, the fair play book is, you know, Eve recommends putting all of the tasks on task cards and then like dividing them up and taking responsibility for it. But ultimately we have to ask yourself, if you ask for a boundary, you state something and your partner doesn't do it, what are you doing that allows them to continue to do it? And the classic example that everyone in my community says is laundry. So if you say, I need you to pick up your clothes off the floor, put them in the laundry basket, I'm doing laundry tomorrow. And every week, your partner does not pick them up. 
<sighs> okay. So you go and pick them up and you put them in the basket. What have you just taught your partner? You have just taught them that it's okay. Don't pick up your laundry. I'll do it for you. Mm -hmm. But then that's where resentment starts to build. And so the important thing is that we ask ourselves, what are we willing to give? And a lot of women in my community have said, I stopped picking up my partner's laundry. They do their own laundry now so that you're teaching them if the laundry is not in the basket, I'm not doing it. And I'm just taking that as one example, but it could be other things. And someone had once said, well, what do I do with like all the cans layering on the table? How much are you focusing on that? Is that, is that something small that you could tolerate letting it go so that your partner can start stepping in? Like, I like to think of it as like, I'm stepping out or stepping back. So my partner can start to step in with me hmm. so that they can see that you're not going to do it. And then yes, you wait to see if their behavior will change. <laughs> it's like a little experiment, <laughs> but, but not, not, not like go back and be like, I told you so you never do anything. It's been a week that you left the cancer. Like if you are committing to let something go, you have to be willing to let something go. It's not something that you then hold it back and you let it build until like a month and you let the Coke bottle explode because you've been holding it in for a month. It is that truly letting something go. And how do you do that? you tap into what's important to you. When you start to feel angry and resentful, you go for a run and you get movement in your body or like, you know, you're doing some jumping jacks or when anger rushes over you, you go and you splash cold water on your face or you hold an ice cube and squeeze it because we know that emotions come and go, but we've got to tolerate when the wave comes up and it's big and it peaks and then it goes back out. We have to tolerate those parts, but we've got to release the anger in some way. If we're truly going to say, I will let this go. Yeah. And the thing about letting it go, you gave the example of the cans stacking up on the counter, let's say their threshold for what is going to bother them, like how many cans Absolutely. is much different than what your threshold might be. So that's tricky too, because yeah. Again, it's the expectations of these cans should bother him. Well, right. no, they might not be. So, yeah. I think what's important that people remember is that when you are carrying resentment, it's like having a backpack of bricks on. Mm. It's really heavy. And that if you are not offloading those bricks, you cannot expect yourself to be intimate with your partner. And this is really important in terms of that postpartum stage where women are struggling to become intimate again with their partner in heterosexual relationships that, um, you know, some people will say, I just don't know why I'm not intimate with my partner. I don't know why I don't feel any desire. And when we start to dig into some of these things that we see that they're, they're not offloading some of their emotions and our emotions are directly connected to our desire and arousal in our relationship. So I think that's really important to kind of make that link between sexual intimacy, physical intimacy, and emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. And after a baby, the task load has just exploded. Oh, huge. Like, especially on the woman, especially if your partner is still going to work, you're at home. So I can imagine it just that's why this is such a hot topic and everyone picked this. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's huge. I wonder if I could ask you what, what would you have done differently in those first three months? Like, you know, we've talked about offloading gatekeeping. Like if you could think back to developing this, this balance in your relationship of how to not hate your husband, I'm not saying that you did, but you know, keeping the balance, what would you have done differently? I feel like I'm at an advantage just because of my background. With regard to physical tasks, I would have to say that we were very 50-50. I was home during the day, but he was working and we did everything together. So I, I think what, when things really changed for me was in quarantine. Uh -huh. um, but I think I probably felt resentment, but I sat with it for a while and I tried to figure it out. Why are you upset? Why is this bugging you? Why, why do you want to murder someone when he goes to cut the lawn? <laughs> and so I wouldn't say anything for a while until I figured it out. And then we would have conversations oh. about it. And he was very open to it and respectful of what I was saying and totally fine with changing things so that I felt better. So I can't, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Maybe I'll put it in the episode notes if I think of something. <laughs> I think, I think what you're even saying though, is that I, 
I was sharing my feelings and needs and, I, and you're sharing the inside stuff rather than focusing on them. Um, and, and that's a big one. Cause I know a lot of women say, well, I feel like if I acknowledge this, it means I'm a bad mom. You are not a bad mom. If you are struggling with anxiety or depression, it has nothing to do with your worth as a mom, but we need to let your partner, like, that's one of the biggest things that I tell moms is you need to let your partner know this inside stuff so they can see you and start to understand it. And I think the other thing that you acknowledged there, that's really important that you were doing is that you weren't going to your partner and saying, ah, I resent you because that's not productive, but instead spending time sitting with it and seeing what, what am I feeling like what's happening and how can I work through this and then share that with my partner. Mm. And when it comes to off, like sharing this stuff, I, I would rarely say to my partner, I resent you. I would talk about the other feelings that, you know, that iceberg analogy, what's the underneath stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel not seen. I feel like I'm not important. I feel like it's too much, all of that stuff, rather than going into the, I resent you. Yeah. And it's part of what the Gottmans say. I think it's in the criticism piece. Uh I always start things with, which is why I sit with it for a little while, because I, it's not a him thing. I feel this way. So I want to figure out why, and then go to him with why I feel that way. But it's not, you always go out and cut the grass and you know, you're ignoring us. It's no, I feel like this, when you go and cut the grass, this is why I think it's because I've been stuck in the house with Milo in quarantine and I would like to go outside and cut the grass. Okay, <laughs> sure. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the, an, an easy recipe to use when you're sharing with your partner is fact plus feeling. Mm. Can you share something that you could both agree on? So something objective and tangible, right? You never help out is not really objective. You went out to cut the grass. Could you both agree that your partner went outside to cut the grass? Yes. Mm-hmm. When you went out and cut the grass, I felt whatever that is. I felt like I didn't get a chance to communicate what I needed and, and, and to pause and let that sit there for a minute instead of then giving all the other reasons of why you're feeling that way. So it's like slowing down, giving information in in a shorter amount, a shorter chunk, and also using the inside stuff. So we don't overwhelm and flood our partners. Yeah. I remember in quarantine when he would come home from work and I would get upset or I would just feel irritated yeah, and I didn't know why. So once I figured it out, it wasn't because he would come home from work. He would go into the kitchen, start, you know, getting dinner stuff ready or washing the dishes. Again, things look great on paper, but why was I irritated? And I figured out before I, you know, attacked him with like, will you come home? You ignore me. Like you don't give us attention. No, it was when you come home, I've been excited all day for you to get home from work, but you come home and you start doing other stuff. Uh So when you get home, do you think you could just come and sit with me for 10 minutes just so that, you know, I'm excited you're home. So you come sit with me for 10 minutes, we can talk, whatever. And then you can go and do the stuff that I know you want to go get done. (laughs) But I can see where people would feel irritated and then communicate that in a not healthy way. And it would, then they get defensive and then it just snowballs into a fight, right? Or you don't say anything and you're, you build resent, Uh resentment. But yeah, so that, that was a big thing. And that's, I've just found that to deal with things in that way is very helpful. It's, this is how I feel because of this. So can we change it just a little bit and do this instead? And then I will feel better. And it's super easy. He's like, oh, okay, sure. No problem. I mean, it's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah, I didn't know. And, yeah. and, and some partners might say no, because I I'm just unwinding from work. Okay. I didn't know you needed to unwind from work, but that's helpful for me to know that you actually need to go and unwind from work. And then can we enter a space of negotiation? How much time do you need to unwind? Is there something you could do before you get home that would help you unwind that then you and I can connect, right? And that is that like, you've got two separate people who have separate needs and wishes. Now, how can we find this space together and how you communicate that is so important. Mm -hmm. And I also started now I'm always making sure there's no dishes in the sink because <laughs> I, I don't want him to come home and do the dishes. I love it. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Well, 
Thanks so much for this conversation. This is great. But if people want to know more about you or connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, I hang out on Instagram. I'm in my stories sharing different tips and tools that you can use for your relationship. It's at dr.tracyd. And my website is drtracyd.com. And you know, one of the biggest things that I've been doing to help women is through my online program called Be Connected. So knowing just how hard this is in our relationships. And as I said earlier, these are skills that we can learn to make changes in our relationships. And um, in this space, I teach women how to share their feelings and needs, let go of resentment and improve their intimacy and ultimately feel more empowered within themselves. And I have women working through the program on their own because oftentimes partners do not want to go to therapy. They do not want to read the book or do the things and that's fine. But I also have people in the program who are working through it as a couple. So I've had great feedback from that. So people can check that out at beconnected.drtracyd.com. Awesome. And I will put all of that stuff uh, along with the two books that we were talking about in the episode notes so that people can find them. So yeah, well, thank you so much. It was nice to virtually meet you and chat. It was lovely. Thank you so much for this conversation. Are you looking for a podcast that'll make you laugh? You came to the wrong place. That's not us. That's not us. Well, it is. We are a husband and wife who chat about raw, real relationship topics. Yeah, like sex. Like money. Like marriage and kids. But we're not afraid to talk about how your newborn baby probably isn't as cute as you think it is. If you're in need of entertainment while you're driving to work, because that sucks, we can join you in the suckage, kind of like being in your ear. Not physically. So if you want to laugh, come check us out. Come check us out. Brought to you by the Laughing Couple Podcast. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.